okay. Well, the guy who was preaching after me, he gets mad if you take his time. <laughs> so I got to be careful. Wow. Uh, I'm going to use this. It, you, if you can't see it, don't worry about it. You won't be able to read it. But it's a sign of intelligence, people. Uh, usually, I, uh, when we start on Sunday morning like this, I like to start with Sunday school and kind of get acquainted with you and uh, have an informal time. But, uh, of course, that, you have the two services, so that didn't work out. But uh, I had to pay the pastor 50 bucks to do this. So I'd be... Uh, <clears throat> Anyhow, uh, this is informal. Uh, so if you want to talk back, you don't get to do that at home. This is a golden opportunity. Some of us became preachers because we don't get to talk at home. I really debated. I got about five things I'd like to do with you today uh, in, this, in this session. And I'm just in kind of a quandary of uh, what, would, what would be good. Uh, but uh, what I want to do, I guess, where I'll go, uh, there is in this, if you were in the morning, uh, first, if you were in the first service, by the way, we're going to preach a, a different sermon uh, in, this, in this study, in the second sermon, in the second uh, service today, this morning. Uh, but we're in Acts chapter 2, and <clears throat> I want to talk to you about a concept. We're not going to deal with Acts chapter 2 now. But I want to talk to you about a concept that is absolutely essential in understanding if you're going to get what we're saying this week and what we said earlier and what we're going to say in the second service and then tonight uh, because we're going to spend all of our preaching, quote unquote, times in Acts chapter 2 dealing with this verse 22 actually down through verse 28. So, by the way, if you, you know, want to read it ahead and study it on your own, maybe God will say something to you and you can tell it to me and I'll preach across the country and people think I'm great. So, uh, that would be wonderful. But uh, just, uh, so I'm going to, I want to talk about a concept. And uh, so, which means you got to think. But if you have a Bible and want to go back to uh, Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 1, he, of course, it begins with the genealogy. And then he moves into the four Christmas narratives in chapter, chapters one and chapters two. There are, uh, the, one of the Christmas narratives is in uh, chapter one and then three of them in chapter two. And then in chapter three, you move into the full-blown adult ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus. So he starts his book uh, really in an interesting way. He says in ch chapter one, verse one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he gives 42 generations, bringing you into Christ. So the book of the genealogy. Now, the word that's translated genealogy is the Greek word Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, which means origins it means beginnings. It means how a thing started. It means where it came from. And this should have an E in it, sorry. Uh, it, it means uh, the start of things. So I read that. And, uh, and it says, this is the book of the beginnings of Jesus Christ. And I want to say, no, no, no. Matthew, psh, wow. 
Jesus didn't begin at Christmas. He's always been because he's God. And we're going to say a little bit of this in, in, the, second, in, the, in the next service. But just, just to be sure, I, just, I don't want anybody to be confused. Let's, I believe Jesus is God. See, I absolutely believe Jesus is God. There's a lot of things I'm not quite sure about and I'm not willing to shed blood over that I don't care about. However you want to be baptized, just to help yourself. But this business of Jesus being God, I'm going to shed blood over it. Say, hey, step outside. Come on, I'll duke it out with you. I don't look like much, but they don't call me manly for nothing. <laughs> oh my, keep it clean, manly. Okay. Uh, so I really, what I'm trying to say to you is I really believe Jesus is God. And, and that's, if, if he isn't God, then the cross doesn't mean anything, people. See, the cross just is, is the death of another nice guy. And lots of nice guys die, including me. So, hey, you know, this is, this is not, Jesus is God. I got to have that. Or, or the whole Christianity is meaningless. So we won't budge on that. We won't demean that. We do, will not belittle that. We will not undermine that. Jesus is God. Are we settled on that? Jesus is God. 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 So are we, are we clear? What did I say? Okay. So if you go out of here and say, Manly said Jesus isn't God, my wife will come and get you. Because, <laughs> uh, hey, we really believe that Jesus is God. But he starts and says, this is the beginning this is the genesis of Jesus. And on top of that, good, he, then he gives 42, verse, 42 generations. Uh, then you go to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ. Now it's really interesting that the Greek word for birth is Genesis. Isn't that interesting? So if you translate in verse 18 the word birth for Genesis, why can't you translate the word birth for this instead of genealogy? You could. Or if you want to translate genealogy here, why not translate genealogy here? You could. It's the same word. So he's giving two genealogies he's giving 42 generations which we have our devotions in every morning so and so begot so and so begot so oh brother so here he gave all of this saying genealogy here's here but this is the adoptive father of Jesus then when he gets done and I, and I can prove to this prove this to you, don't have time. At the end of the genealogy, he just wipes Joseph out of the, he, he mentions him and then just wipes him out. So it's really interesting. So you end up the genealogy saying, well, if Joseph isn't the father, who is? Then he thunders into verse 18 and says, oh, I want to give you the natural father genealogy. And says, hey, won't take 42 generations, born of God. Now, 
Nowhere, think this through, nowhere in the New Testament do you dare, even, not even, don't let the thought, and I hesitate to even mention it, because the minute I mention it, the thought will be in your mind. But don't even let the thought be in your mind that God went out and had sexual relationships with a woman and out popped Jesus. That's nowhere, folks. There's nothing like that. If you want that, I can give you some other world religions. Buddhas. You, hey, you can go and get that other places. But not Christianity. There's nothing like that in Christianity. And read the language that he uses and analyze the language that he uses for the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. There's this whole phenomenal over, overshadowing. Oh, there's these, these, this language that has nothing to do with, wow. So what you've got is a pre-existent being who has entered into the womb of a woman. Now we call this the incarnation, which has nothing to do with powder in your milk. And this incarnation is, means assuming flesh. So we call the birth of Jesus the incarnation. So a pre-existent being assumed the body of man. So I want to give you a statement. The second member of the Trinity, God himself, leaped off of his throne and assumed the body and nature of man. And in one person, there was the total nature of God and the total nature of man in an indissoluble union. Let me give it to you again. Second member of the Trinity, leaped off his throne and assumed the body and nature of man. And in one person, there was the total nature of God and the total nature of man in an indissoluble union. Now, if you say, well, what's indissoluble? Means you can't dissolve it. Which means when Jesus became man in an indissoluble union, it means you cannot split that. You can't say, well, Jesus was God from his waist up, man from his waist down. No, he's not half and half. Well, his right arm is God. His left arm is man. Look out for the right arm. No. Well, he flips in and flips out. So, when he's walking on the water, oh, that's his godhood showing up. Oh, at, he's weeping at the grave of Lazarus. That's his manhood took over. See, he doesn't flip in and he doesn't flip out. This is an indissoluble union. If you say, can you give me an example of that? Yes. Here is a lovely young lady. Here is a handsome young man. And standing in between them is the indissoluble union of a child. Now she can say, I have had it. I'm taking my half and splitting. He can say, I've had it. I'm taking my half and splitting. No, you're not. Why? Because you can't find your half. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? You can get a divorce, but you can't separate. Because <laughs> you always got an X. 
And it's an end. Isn't that interesting? That's an indesire. That's Jesus in an indesire. God and man have come together in an indes. Well, where is God in there? Well, where is man? Well, where am I? Where is she? Well, I see. He's got your eyes. Got my big feet. Yeah. Indissoluble union. Now, we believe in a trinity. In other words, we don't believe in three gods. If you say you believe in three gods, we'll laugh you out of town. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. But the one God is three. And the three are one. Well, if the, if the one God is three, then you have three gods. No, we have one God, but he's three. And the three are one. And the one are three. And you say, that doesn't make any sense. Well, that's probably true. But that doesn't matter. Lots of things I know don't make sense. I know my wife. Uh, And I've never figured her out. So, hey, it is what it is. So this is not about making sense. This is about reality and truth. So we have three, and when we say the three are one and the one are three, we have tried all kinds of ways to explain that. We have said, well, for instance, I am a trinity in function. I function as a preacher, I function as a husband, and I function as a general goof-off. So there I am, a threefold uh, a trinity in function. But that's function. He is not a trinity in function. He is a trinity in person. Meaning, this is a person with a mind, will, and emotion. This is a person with a mind, will, and emotion. This is a person with a mind, will, and emotion. And you got three distinct persons, like you're a person, you're a person, you're a person. Three distinct persons. And you may say, well, God is bigger than person, if you're a philosopher. And God can be anything he wants to be. Hey, who am I to tell God what he can be? He, if he, and, but as revealed in the book, he is a person. And you're made in his image, which means you're a person. And here are three persons. But these three persons have become one. And we don't, know, we don't know the depth of that. I understand. And nobody's ever understood the Trinity. But if anybody is going to ever understand the Trinity, it'll be this group here this morning. Not because I'm explaining it, but because we're a holiness crowd. And holiness is the best, takes us to the deepest level of understanding we can get to on the Trinity. See, the reason these these three are one is because all three, the nature of this, of each one of them is a holy nature. Meaning, holiness meaning perfect love. Holiness meaning death. At the heart of each one of these individuals is a cross. And each each member of the Trinity has lost its life to the other. So this member of the Trinity said, I'm losing my life to these two, and this member of the Trinity to these two, and this one to these two, and in each one losing his life, bleeding, suffering, and dying, never ever thinking about themselves, the loss of their life, the death 
to self-centeredness and each one has is died to himself and in the loss of his life, they have come together until they think as one, they will as one, they act as one, they are one. No, they're three, but they're one. Because of the cross. The con- it's not the cross, it's the nature that brought about the cross. If you say, give me an illustration of that, easy. Here stands this lovely young lady. Here stands this handsome young man. We're all crying. Why are we crying? They're getting married. It's a funeral. (laughs) I know we named it different because we wanted to camouflage it, but people are dying here. They are dying. You realize what that man is saying to that woman? He's saying, I am dying to myself. I'm losing my life. Hey, I've stayed out as late as I wanted to, spent the money the way I wanted to, bought what I wanted to, ate what I wanted to, went where I wanted to. I'm quitting all of that and I'm losing my life to you. I'm not going to spend the money the way I want to. I'm not going to go where I want to go anymore. My primary purpose from this point on is to facilitate the will of God in your life. And she's turning to him saying, well, hey, I'm not going to live for myself anymore either. I'm going I'm to lose my life. And the two people have just died to themselves. And we look at them and says, well, they're one flesh. No, they're not. They're two. No, they're one. No, they're two. No. Do you see that? That's the dynamic of this displayed biblically into marriage. So God wrote his nature into marriage, people. That's phenomenal. So so here's this, this. Now, this godness we understand somewhat because they have omni qualities. They have omni qualities. And we understand there's omnipresence, which is everyone at one time. There's omniscience. Say that so I can spell it. Omniscience. There's omnipotence. Omnipotence. (laughs) Meaning all powerfulness. Now, God has these qualities. Now, this member of the Trinity said, you know what I'd like to do? In redemption, they got together over a break and said, hey, let's redeem mankind. And this member said, what I'd like to do in redemption is I'd like to be the the overseer. I'll kind of run the show. I'll kind of uh, keep the law, uh, operate Mars and Jupiter, uh, keep gravity operating. And so he's the father and we call him father. Because of his role in redemption, That's not his name. That's a role he plays. See, I have a couple of these characters who call me father. But don't you. I won't play that role for you. We on track? So this is a role. This member of the Trinity said, oh, I know what I'd like to do in the redemption. I'd like to be the one who crawls down inside of people, pesters the living daylights out of them, make them feel so miserable they can't hardly stand it, and then shed abroad in their lives the love of God. Well, if you're going to do that, you've got to be spirit. Oh, you are spirit. Oh, and since you're so holy, we'll call you 
which is a role, not his name. These are functions in redemption as we view them. Does that make sense to you? Now, it's really interesting to me that we get, we get all confused because we'll, and, and hey, I do it too, we'll say, we'll say, well, God came, well, I mean Jesus. Like Jesus isn't God. And when we say God, we refer here. Not this in our mind, not this, but we, we're, we're thinking of this. But it's interesting, the, the uh, Hebrew word for God is Elohim, probably not spelled right, Elohim. And every time it shows up in the Hebrew Old Testament, it's plural. that turn you on? Wow. And when they came to the New Testament, they translated singular because of the Greek. Because if they translated a pearl, it would lead the Greek, the whole Greek mythology with Zeus and all that outfit, you know. So they had to translate it singular. But in the Old Testament, he's plural. So God isn't this, God is this. So every time you see God in the Old Testament, you've got trinity on your hands now this member of the trinity said oh you're going to be the father image you're going to play the role of the holy spirit okay well i thank you for leaving this for me i want to be the son well he's not a son yes well he's a son no he's not a son well he's not a son like you are it wasn't produced always has been he's god Eternal, sovereign, creator, Jesus. Got a throne. But he leaped off his throne, came down to earth, and became a man. Now I have some comprehension of what this is like, but what would this be like? To be like this, and then come down here and enter into a woman's womb. What would you have to do to do that? Well, one thing you'd have to do to do that is you'd have to give this up. You'd have to say, hey, I'm not going to be everywhere at one time. I'm going to be in one spot at one place. So the kenosis passage in Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus emptied himself. Which, what does that mean? That means he took his omnipresence, you probably didn't know this, but he had a safety deposit box right under his throne. And he put it right there. And said, hey, it's mine. I'm omnipresent. I have a right to it. I'm God, but I'm not going to use it. And he set that aside and gave that up. God is all-knowing. That's right. Now he's leaped off his throne and become a man and became a helpless babe in a manger. Do you think, one of, one of the greatest theological questions I ever asked in my life was, did Jesus mess his pants as a baby? How many think he did? Oh, it's unanimous. Uh, so you're telling me Jesus wasn't born potty trained. And that sometimes, someplace, his mother had to come to him and say, Oh, Jesus, not again. <laughs> a 
And Jesus made a mistake. Isn't that interesting? Here's the shepherds coming up to a manger. Coochie, coochie, coo. Jesus looks up at him and says in perfect Greek, what are you doing that for? (laughs) No, he couldn't talk. Babies can't talk. Well, if Jesus knows everything when he's in, well, he didn't know everything. Oh, no, Jesus, no. No. See, knowing everything means everything. And if you can find one thing he didn't know, in fact, the disciples in Mark came up to him and said, when you're coming back the second time, Jesus said, hmm, don't know. There's one thing. Luke 2 says he grew in wisdom and stature with man. How do you grow if you know everything? So what did he do with that? Well, he put it right here in his safety deposit box. Said, hey, I have omniscience. It's mine. I have a right to it. I can use it anytime I want to, but I've decided to limit myself. And he became a man limited to one spot like you are, limited to the knowledge you have available to you. Everybody comfortable? Okay, so he eliminated this from his usage. Then he came to this all-powerfulness and said, hey, I'm all-powerful, I'm God. Yeah, you are. But here he is, think of this, a helpless babe. The guy can't even fix his own food, feed himself. Here's, don't you think that's ridiculous? Oh, here's this little baby. Who is he? He's God. The creator. He's dying on a cross. And you want to tell me that's God dying up there? Stripped naked? Couldn't handle a bunch of brain-dead Pharisees? What happened here? He gave that up. Whoa. So what have you got going on in Jesus? You've got a guy who doesn't know what to do next. Who has no resource available available to him but what you have available to you. You've got a guy who has to pray all night. You got a guy who won't, who, who does no ministry for 30 years, but goes down to John the Baptist and says, you're going to baptize me. And he says, no, I'm not. He says, yes, you are. And they went down into the river Jordan. And when they came out, the father through the spirit filled the man called Jesus. And every one of the gospels folks talks about this at the beginning of the gospel saying, I want you to interpret all the miracles and the ministry of Jesus on what? That he is a man filled with the Spirit and that Jesus didn't do what he did because he's God, although he is God, but he did what he did because he's a man filled with God. And here's what a man looks like when he's filled with God. And everything that distinguished him, I gotta calm down, don't I? Everything that distinguished him from you and me, he gave it up. (laughs) 
Now, in my mind process, what helps me with this is, this is what he has. This is a have thing. This is who he is. An is thing. Jesus never gave this up. He gave this up. You can give up who you, what you have without giving up who you are. See, I shake your hand. I'm shaking you. Well, not really. Yes, it is me. No, it's not you. Well, yeah. You, well, you have a hand. You aren't a hand. Aren't a hand. And you can cut off your hand and still be you. Jesus gave up everything he had that made him different from you and became exactly like you are and was filled with the Spirit. And everything that spilled out of his life was not a result of the fact of who he is. It, was, it is a result of the fact of what he ha- of the fullness of the Spirit that he now has. So, when Peter stands up and says, oh, I want to explain to you what's going on in 120. He says, what do you want to know what the explanation is? Jesus. Because God took the fullness of the Spirit and jammed it into a man. And it worked. And he just decided, I'm going to do it again with 120. And it's promised to you. Now, I absolutely despise this concept. And if I could change it, believe me, I would. And here's the reason I don't like the concept. It eliminates all my excuses. See, I've had this great line. I'm only human. I'm just a man. One of our guys, his favorite saying is, I don't walk on water. What's he mean by that? Well, I'm not Jesus. Well, yeah, Jesus could forgive everybody. See, Jesus could be what he ought to be. Jesus could turn the other cheek. Jesus could, but I'm not Jesus. Whoa. What if Jesus wasn't Jesus? Meaning, he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Which means, what are you to be? A person filled with the Holy Spirit. And what sourced him was not self. What sourced him was the Spirit. And what if the Spirit that sourced Jesus would come and live in you? Well, you'd live exactly like Jesus. So where's the excuse? Well, if you were married to my wife, well, if you had my job, what are you talking about? See, Jesus didn't say, well, I could have been all what I should have been if it hadn't been for the Pharisees. Well, those scribes, well, I don't know how I got, you know, it's really, it's so interesting to me. This just all came down on me. Uh, oh, a couple years ago. Uh, Jesus went to the limit. Think this. Think of this. 
Jesus went to the limit, the extreme. You just look at the guy and say, what? Just mellow out. You know, just do something normal once. He, he went to the extreme on everything. Name anything you want to name. Uh, his, his, let's talk about his birth. Why wasn't he born in a, in a, in a nice hospital? Could have been born a prince. Could have been, you know, a nice middle class, upper middle class American family. Peasant people. Who lived in Nazareth, raised in Nazareth. Nothing good can happen. Nazareth, even the people of Galilee. See, the one who said nothing good can come out of Nazareth were the Galileans in which this was the province in which Nazareth was. That wasn't people down here in Judea talking about something up there. That was the people up here talking about that town. It was the worst town in Judaism. And that's where he was raised. Come on. Do you know when he was when he was in his ministry in John's gospel, when he was when he was arguing with the Pharisees, you know what they said? At least we know who our father was. And they were digging him about the fact he had no father. He had he he was illegitimate. He lived with that all his life. See, he went to the extreme on everything. So there isn't anything in my life. He came from a dysfunctional family. He had brothers and sisters. Do you know that his own brothers, half-brothers, didn't even believe in him until after the crucifixion? So he faced that all of his ministry, that his family came to him and what was it, both in Matthew and in Luke, I think it was, they came to him and said, Come on, Jesus, you need to come home for some quiet time because they thought he was out of his mind. So whatever your situation is, you can't come and say, well, Jesus didn't have it as rough. <laughs> oh, come on. He was so poor, people, that when he had, he had to pay his temple tax, so what did he do? He sent Peter to fish and get a coin out of a fish's mouth. <laughs> Do, do you see the scene? Well, how did he live like? So what I'm proposing to you biblically is that the first man to be in the new covenant is Jesus. He's the prototype. He starts it. Well, why didn't the rest of us get it at the same time? 50 days later. See, he had to, by the power of the Spirit, go to the cross, be raised from the dead. See, if you've had the idea that Jesus dies on a cross and then goes into the grave and lays there with one eye open, saying, brother, three days in here. No, he died like you're going to die. He's a dead man. Well, how'd he raise from the dead? Oh, come on. Everywhere you go in the scriptures, they're talking about God raised him from the dead, meaning the Father. The Father raised him from the dead. He didn't raise himself from the dead. The Father. Well, when he died, 
couldn't he just raise him? No, he died like you died and died by faith that he was going to be raised from the dead. Can you imagine being a babe and growing up and finding out, man, I had prior existence in this trinity. Wouldn't you call the men dressed in white? Wouldn't you think you were crazy? He lived by faith in intimacy with the Father through the Spirit. Now, we got to quit, but let me take you to this, because this, this to me is really oh, mind-boggling. Okay, so here he is. He, he's the second member of the Trinity. He's come to earth. He set aside all of this, gave up what he has, not who he is, and, and he's been filled with the Spirit. And now he's raised from the dead, and he pops back up and takes all of this back. Give me that stuff in. Take, take, I want my omnipresent. I want that, 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 that. And takes all that back. And oh, he's roaring God and he's back on his throne. No. No. He never took this back. I mean, he's still a man? Oh, unless you've taught me wrong. Now, if you taught me wrong and want to admit that this morning, then, hey, we'll change this. But here's what you taught me. You taught me that he was physically raised from the dead. Right? But he wasn't spiritually raised from the dead. He wasn't mentally raised from the dead. He's alive because we keep talking about him. No, we went into the grave and we poked the grave clothes and they went flat because the body was gone. And then he showed up in, in Acts chapter one and for 40 days we ate with him, we slept with him, we whacked him on the back and our hand didn't go through. He appeared before his disciples and said, handle me, I'm not a ghost. I know you're scared because you think I'm a ghost. I'm not a ghost, handle me because ghosts don't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And that he was raised from the dead with a body. And that he ascended and the disciples were all standing there and saying, where is he going now? Oh, and watched him as he disappeared behind a cloud. And the angels said, hey, it's okay because the Jesus you just saw leave is going to return the same way he left. So you've taught me he's coming back the second time in a body. Well, folks, if he left with a body and he's coming back in a body, it means he has a body now. Wiley, who was Mr. Theologian of the Church of the Nazarene back in my day, and when we wanted to be ordained, we had to study three volumes of Wiley. He was the key theologian. We studied it by candlelight. That's how far back it goes. Anyhow, Wiley says in his theology book, when you get to heaven, the only God you'll ever see is Jesus. Why? Because you can't see God the Father. He's spirit. You can't see the Holy Spirit. He's spirit. The only God that has a body is Jesus. So he never went back to be what he was. So when Jesus became a man, it was an eternal sacrifice. Not a 30-year 30 30 year deal. 
So this is not a God popping down saying, oh, I'll die for you and become a man and die for you. And then I'll pop back and I'll have all. No, no. He gave up everything he had as God to become a part of you so that he could bring you back so you could be a part of him. So see, when we stand up in front of a crowd and say, you can't play with this. You can't mess with this. Get in or get out. You can't flirt with this. This is not some plaything. This is not, this is a God who loves you with such intensity that he literally gave himself up forever to embrace you. And the guy was right. That this kind of love demands my life, my all. We're being invaded, so I got to quit. I appreciate the discussion. <laughs> Typical preacher, huh? Oh. I don't, I, hey, I hope this doesn't confuse you. This is, but this is the basis of the passage we're dealing with in Acts chapter 2. When Peter stands up and says, oh, let me explain to you what's going on in, on 120. What's going on in 120 is the same thing that was going on in this guy. Because he became a real man. Feet got dirty, needed deodorant, and he liked the girls. <laughs> and yet this filled this. And everything that spilled out of his life was a product of this, which he wants to do in you. So I want to give my life to Jesus like Jesus gave his life to the Father so that all that's going on in the Trinity, don't you think it's interesting that God never invited us to get in on this. You're never going to be omnipresent. He never invited you to get in on this, although some of us think we have this. But he never invited us to get on, on know, all, being all-knowing. <laughs> Little joke there. We, he didn't invite us in, in getting on being all-powerful. He invited us to get in on his heart, his nature which means I'm going to think like he thinks, feel like he feels. Do we need to do anything else? Oh, dismissed. <laughs> Drink some more coffee. It's going to be a long sermon. Oh.